Once you have it, would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? And uh, just to give you the heads up, we are going to be reading from uh, the, the, the entire chapter, but our focus for this morning is verses 1, 2, and 3, and it looks like verse 3 kind of stops mid-sentence, but that's okay, okay? Just think, this is English, there's Greek, they're different languages, all right? So, here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he has chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his counsel of his will, so that we who were the first, hope, the first to hope in Christ might be able to praise, be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what it is to hope to the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him on the right hand in the heavenly places? far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, gave him as the head over things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. So the Apostle Paul wrote this book uh, to the people of Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, while he was imprisoned in Rome 
around 61 A.D. And he wrote it to this church, and it became what they call a circular letter. In other words, it may have started in Ephesus, but it found its way around the churches in Asia, Asia Minor, and it just made its way around. It's general enough that not only did it spoke to these people right here in Ephesus, but it spoke to the people in that whole region. And today, it speaks to us. God's Word speaks to us. This letter focuses on what God our Father did in the historical work of Jesus Christ and what He does through His Spirit today in order to build a whole new society in the midst of an old and broken society. God is up to something. This book tells us how Jesus Christ shed His blood in His sacrificial uh, death for sin and was raised by the power of God. And that's going to be coming up to our our, uh, resurrection morning. Christ was raised by the power of God and has been exalted above all other competitors, all other competitors to the supreme place in the universe and the supreme place in the church and the supreme place in our lives. When one of the major themes that you are going to see if, as you read through the whole book of Ephesians is this theme, that this idea of the heavenly places, the heavenlies. It's not really a, a word that we use often, right? Man, let's talk about the heavenly places, the, the heavenlies. But Paul uses this phrase, this term, five times throughout the book of Ephesians. And he, he's wanting to show the believers that our salvation, our salvation from the vantage point of the heavenly places is amazing. He wants to kind of take our eyes off of our temporal, our right now, and say, listen, I want to give you a 50,000 foot view of what is going on. He's trying to give us this panoramic view of our salvation and of our redemption. So when you look at your life, at your life through the perspective of the heavenlies, through how God saved you, how God redeemed you by sending his son to die on the cross, and how he has made you a child in order to enjoy him forever, when you're able to do that, then our everyday problems start to dim and start to disappear. But we have to develop an eternal perspective. Laura's not here this morning, um, so I feel awkward sharing this story. When I was writing, I was thinking she was going to be here, but too bad. If you know anything of Laura and my dating story, our early um, trying to figure out is marriage for us, uh, you will know that we had a very complex um, love-hate relationship early on. Uh, we, didn't, uh, we didn't find ourselves, we, we knew each other when we were in college, and uh, quite honestly, there was somebody I had my eyes set on other than Laura, but Laura happened to be her roommate. And so that kind of made things really complex, and Laura kind of became the, the mama bear protecting this girl from me. And so Laura was always kind of in the way. But 
after we graduated, God bless her, after, after, we, after we graduated college, we kind of parted ways for about a decade. And then in, in 2000, for a variety of reasons, God had Laura and I reconnect. And um, Laura took a, a job at Camp Manitoba as the director of, of um, the program director there. And and I, it was on my heart that, man, this is a difficult position. Having worked at camp before, I knew this was going to be difficult. And so I, we started reengaging in conversations and friendships. And um, I reached out. And at first it was a little awkward and a little strange. And there were a few meals that we shared over the course of that, before that first summer. But it wasn't until I was doing ministry with college-age students where I took them to a conference in 2000 to Shelby Farms in Memphis, Tennessee. And it was there when things really started to change for me. This conference was called One Day. It was one, a one-day conference, and Louis Giglio uh, and his crew held it. It was the Passion Conferences. Grace, why don't you throw it up for me? The next slide. This, this was the one-day conference there in the Shelby Farms. The night before this event, we were all hidden out in different parts of this great big park. I was part of the gold camp, and we had our own uh, worship leader, and we had a little someone who spoke, and there was a black camp, there was a white camp, there was all these red camps, different camps all around, and we were all preparing for this one day. And the challenge specifically on this 4,500-acre uh, place was to engage Christ, to hear from him, and to send out this generation, this one day, out into the world to be his, his witnesses. The night before the event, there were uh, two different stations. You can't really see them because they were up here on these corners. There were two different stations, and they read scripture over this whole, from Genesis all the way through Revelation. They read the entire Bible over this field, it was going to be a, a sacred moment and a sacred ground that we were going to be engaging. The next morning, we, uh, uh, as we could hear Revelation 22 being read, and it was, I, I remember it crystal clear. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. And with that, with all 40,000 college students and ad other adults, they opened the gates. In most concert venues, people rush, right? There's this running stampede. People get killed to get to the front row. It was a quiet, sacred moment as the gates were opened. People quietly found their spot on rain-soaked ground. And my life and my perspective was changed. I was convicted that even though I was leading college students, I was being called to be an encourager for those who are in ministry. And immediately, I thought, Laura. And when I returned, I came back with two cafe mochas, of course, Starbucks, right? Two cafe mochas after she had spent an entire day doing rescues in uh, the ropes course. And I let her know, I said, 
I am going to be praying for you this summer. And I continued to show up every day almost during orientation, random times with coffee and encouragement, praying with her. And God started doing something in our hearts. My intention was never dating, but it was to encourage. And there came a point in that summer, this about July, where Laura told me that I should not come around anymore because she was starting to fall in love. Don't come back. And I'm going, but I'm falling in love too. And there's sometimes when we tell these stories about our love-hate relationship and I don't want you to come around anymore where we, we find ourselves clarifying and, you know, kind of adding to the story and just, oh, just so you know, I didn't quite say it like that. But there's, there were times where we felt kind of embarrassed of how we felt or how we reacted at very po- various points in our dating relationship. Sometimes we almost have to say to each other, enough already. I'm married to you. Enough. Enough with that story. I feel ashamed. But the panoramic view of our relationship, if you would pull back 50,000 feet and just look at it, it is amazing. Yes, if you look at our relationship from a day-to-day, moment-by-moment perspective, there are some really tough things that we have gone through. In fact, there are some really terrible days that we have experienced as a couple. But if you step back, And if you look at our relationship as a whole, those rough days now seem to be more dim. Now we remember and we can laugh at things and we're we're finding ourselves doing the kind of the happily ever after. And some of you are pretty sure that you are never going to have that kind of story, the the happily ever after. But if you are in Christ, God promises you a happily ever after. It might not seem like it right now, right today, but that's what God promises us. Living the day-to-day life as a Christian in this world is hard, isn't it? It's difficult. Sometimes it's even grueling and it's painful. And Jesus even promised us that it was, that's going to be the case. Your life is going to be hard. And he doesn't give you the suck it up, Sally kind of mentality. He says, but let me give you a perspective. Let me, let me give you the 50,000 foot view. So through the book of Ephesians, God wants us to know that if we are going to make it, if you want to make it through the hard days, we have to have a heavenly perspective. We've got to have that 50,000 foot view. And, And I wonder what it would look like when it's all said and done and we're sitting around with Jesus and we're able to see through our own eyes God's plan of salvation unfolded and fulfilled and finally see what God truly did work out and how he worked out everything for his good including our most terrible days for our good and our glory will we sit back and go oh my word all those things work we're working towards this what would happen to us in those moments Every tear will be wiped away. There will be, in that moment, there will be no more 
pain. There will be no more sorrow. There will only, friends, be joy, happiness, and deep, deep satisfaction. I wonder how we will see in those moments our most terrible days here on earth. God promises. And when God promises, His words are always yes, amen, it's true, it's my sign, it's my seal, I do not lie. So when God promises there's a day coming, when those days of pain, uh, those days and the pain of it are going to be over, that is good news. There is a happily ever after coming. So we have been given all kinds of spiritual blessings. Paul, did you, did you hear that in Ephesians 1, 1 and 2? He said this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us a, a very familiar greeting. And then in verses uh, 3 to 14, it's really the whole thing right there. One sentence. One sentence. Imagine doing that in one breath. One sentence. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with, what does it say? Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Paul is trying to give us an eternal heavenly perspective to help us through our everyday messiness, our everyday pain, our everyday sorrow. And we've been given, he wants us to know that we have been given every spiritual blessing. You're not missing one single blessing if you are in Christ Jesus. Hear that. Some of you need to hear that because you're going, I'm missing out. Baloney. You have every spiritual blessing. You're not missing out on a single thing of all the spiritual blessings available in the world, in the universe. You have them all. They're all yours in Christ Jesus. Spiritual blessings are the blessings that you and I need to be saved. Spiritual blessings are what Jesus accomplished for us and purchased for us through his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. We, everything we need in order to be saved, Jesus bought for us. It is for you. It is not something you can pick and choose. It is yours today. And Paul says that we have all these spiritual blessings right now in the present. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. This is past tense. It has already been done for you. It's past. He didn't say that God intends to bless you sometime in the future if you get your stuff together. Thank God, because I don't have mine together. He says, no, God already did it for you. He's accomplished it for you. It is yours in Christ Jesus. He said he has blessed us already, and we have it all now. But the reality is that some of us, starting with me, don't feel always blessed like this, right? With every spiritual blessing. 
We don't see it with our eyes in our lives. We don't feel like we're the millionaires that we should be. There are still bills to be paid. We were sick this week and we could barely get out of bed. Or maybe it's more serious than that. You've been sick for a while. And you're, or maybe it's because you're, you're, you're single and you're desperately lonely. Or you want a child and you can't seem to be preg- get pregnant. We, have mainly have, we mainly as humans tend to have an understanding that blessings are physical. That blessings are tangible. They're things or people or places that I can put my fingers on and and I can really touch. But Paul, Paul, we have got to remember the context of this. Paul was writing this letter while he was where? He was in prison in Rome, awaiting what? Death. Death seemed absolutely imminent for him. And yet he wrote, we have been blessed. Maybe that's a mantra that you need to kind of get in your head when, you, when it all looks like it's hitting the fan and it's getting nasty, I don't know where to go. I have been blessed. I need to tell myself again and again, I have been blessed. Paul, remember that. I have been blessed. Yet he, he, Paul had a different understanding of blessings than what we do today. There was a time in history where God primarily kind of expressed his blessings through physical things, right? In the Old Testament, his blessing was largely material or temporal kind of things. The way that you would calculate the amount of blessings that a man would have from God would count this man's sheep, count this man's uh, goats, his cattle, see how many he owned. Look at how many children he had. Look at that inheritance. Look at the piece of land that he has. You look at the amount of land they possessed or how many children he had. The way that God dealt with his people in the Old Testament was more elementary, as if dealing with children. He would bless and he would teach them by using physical things. And oftentimes it was external and obvious blessing. And the Old Testament was about Physical pictures pointing towards a spiritual reality. In the New Testament, God begins to show us the spiritual blessings themselves. He's saying, Paul, don't don't count the number of cows you have. (laughs) They pale in comparison to the greater blessing that they point towards. 2 Corinthians 4, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So if we are going to have an eternal, heavenly kind of perspective, we have to know the difference between physical and spiritual. We have to treasure the eternal over the temporal. Spiritual, friends, spiritual blessings, whether you believe it or not, spiritual blessings are better, but sometimes they just don't feel like it. 
We want, to, we want our blessings to be real and tangible. Something that we can see, something we can touch, something that talks back to me. With good words, right? And if we're honest, many of us would be willing to trade and give up our spiritual blessings in order to just get something physical. We'd be willing to believe a little bit less if it meant we could have a little bit more. Or trade in a little sanctification, looking for a little, looking a little less like Jesus to have health or healing from a sickness for ourselves or for a loved one. Man, I, I would do anything. I would give up anything just to have that or to gain that for you. We would be willing to trade our little understanding of God's word if it meant we could just get a spouse or children or more power or prestige at work or to get some physical beauty, so on and so on. All these valuable, precious, spiritual blessings, we des- all these valuable spiritual blessings we desperately need that God provided for us through Christ Jesus, we would be willing to ultimately just trade in for something physical. But hear this, physical blessings are not evil. But spiritual blessings are so much better in countless ways. Some of you have the mentality that maybe God is out to get you. You think that things are too good and too peaceful, so you get ready for that terrible thing that God has waiting for you around the corner. God is blessing you with amazing physical blessings, but you're not enjoying them or thanking Him for them. You're just waiting for Him to do maybe a a bait and switch. But friends, our our God is good. We, We just sang a song, You're a good, good Father. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. He is a heavenly Father who knows how to give good and perfect gifts, including spiritual and physical gifts. It's okay to enjoy physical gifts and blessings and thank God for them, but don't keep those physical gifts for yourself. If God has physically blessed you with healthy kids, Do not keep that time to yourself. If instead, use it as an opportunity to serve people who may have sick children. If he has blessed you with money, don't spend it on yourself. Use it as an opportunity to bear the burden of those who are poor. God blesses people that they might be a blessing. So whatever that physical blessing is, do not keep, do not hoard it for yourself. Find ways to be a blessing to other people and point them to Jesus. So physical blessings are great, they're important, but they are not ultimate. Spiritual blessings are better in countless ways. So I'm going to give you a couple ways. Spiritual blessings give you an assurance that you are in Christ. And two, spiritual blessings produce worship in us that physical blessings cannot. 
Many of us struggle, struggle at times with the question, am I actually saved? Has anybody ever asked that question? Maybe in dark points or just lonely points where you go, am I, am I just going through emotions? Or am I actually saved? Has God done an amazing work in me? On that last day, when I see Jesus face to face, is he going to say, welcome, I've been waiting for you. Wait, let me walk with me down this, this golden street. I've got a place prepared for you. Is, is that what God is going to say, or is he going to say something else? So know this, friends, that the presence of spiritual blessings in your life are to act as a constant reminder that you are actually saved, that you do belong to God. Ephesians 1.3, again, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heaven, heavenly place. So the only place that spiritual blessings can ever be found is in Christ Jesus. So the only way that we could have spiritual blessings to have the assurance that we are in Christ Jesus is if that we are actually in Christ Jesus. So do you see the evidence of, of spiritual blessings in your life? Do you see a new heart and a tender and compassionate heart? Do you see faith, love, hope, or patience? Do you see the spiritual blessings of adoption, of forgiveness of sins, of redemption? Do you see a heart that is growing and desiring to be more forgiving of other people? And do you have a heart that is desiring to be serving them and financially blessing other people? Do you desire to see more and more His kingdom come, His will being done, not only in your life, but in this world? These things are evidence that you are in fact in Christ and saved. Spiritual blessings, if you have them, let you know for sure that you are in Christ. Physical blessings cannot do that. Of all the physical blessings available, which one would you want to see come true? Two scenarios. What if you had all the money in the world? You were born beautiful. I know all of you are, but you were born beautiful. Everyone loves you. You had perfect health. You had all the physical blessings you would ever want, and you died at the ripe age of 120 and never needed any kind of plastic surgery or, surgery or liposuction. You looked amazing on that last day. And dying on your deathbed, could you say, wow, look at all the way that God has blessed me. I must be His. Look at all these things around me. I must be His. Concluding that you are definitely going to heaven? No. In that moment, you could not, just by looking at all the things that you have, conclude that you are going to heaven. God gives physical blessings to both believers and unbelievers alike. The Bible said that God causes the rain, the sun to rise on both the, the wicked and the righteous. There are plenty of millionaires, beautiful people, accomplished people, people who are well-liked and powerful who will not be with Jesus when they die. 
They may have tons of well-behaved children, a wonderful spouse, a job that is hitting the roof, making all kinds of money, did not need any kind of venture capital because they had it all in their pocket. They got it from their daddy. And man, ultimately, at the end of the day, they will not be with Jesus. They will see Jesus and he will say, quote, depart from me, for I never knew you. Or, scenario number two, you could be lying on your deathbed, considering your life, and, and see it wasn't particularly filled with spiritual blo- physical blessings. You were never really rich, and you're kind of eking by paycheck to paycheck. But your heart was struck by God's generosity by giving you his son. So you found ways to be generous yourself even when things were absolutely tight. You were never really powerful and you were never really accomplished, but your your heart was struck by Jesus coming into the world to serve, not to be served. So you found all kinds of ways to serve other people. There are plenty of aches and pains in your life, but you knew that while your outer man was decaying away, the work of the Holy Spirit was renewing your inner man. You lost precious things. You lost people. But with each loss, you came to an understanding and joy that Jesus is better than anything this world could ever offer you. Now, having a life like that, not filled with spiritual or physical blessings, but abundantly overflowing with spiritual ones, could you conclude that you must be saved? Absolutely. God has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly place. Everything you need for eternity to be secured, to be in Him forever has been already done for you. You have been blessed and spiritual blessings are far better because they give proof that our salvation and relationship with Jesus operate in ways that physical blessings could never do. But spiritual blessings also produce worship. They produce spiritual they produce a worship in us that physical blessings can't blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ so while paul looked at all these spiritual blessings as he was kind of doing this fifty thousand foot view what did it do it produced worship in his heart think about all the spiritual blessings that we need for salvation to actually be secured Consider everything that needed to be accomplished so that you and I could be saved. Paul discusses them all throughout Ephesians. We need the spiritual blessing of being chosen before the foundation of the world to be his. We need the spiritual blessings of being made holy and blameless in his sight. We need the spiritual blessings of being adopted so that we can no longer be his enemies, but we can be his children. We need the spiritual blessing of redemption, the forgiveness of sin, the actual blood of Jesus, and to know that it is through Jesus that God is fulfilling all of his plans for our salvation. 
We need the spiritual blessings of the word of truth, the gospel to be made to believe. And we need the Holy Spirit. We need all these things in order to be saved. And in Christ Jesus, we have them all. We should feel blessed by this. In fact, out here should be a little bit more raucous than what I'm personally experiencing right now. All these blessings are yours. And when we truly stop to consider it all, the only proper response could be to echo what Paul said. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, I praise you and I worship you. Spiritual blessings actually create worship. But it's not always so with with physical ones. While, While spiritual blessings make God out to be the prize so that we worship Him, physical blessings have a tendency to make themselves the prize. And so we worship them. I, I, want, I want a wife. I want a husband. I want children. I want wealth. I want this. So what happens? We tend to worship and idolize those things over what really matters. So when it comes to having an eternal, heavenly perspective, worship is absolutely the key. Without worship, we will never be able to have the eternal perspective. There is nothing like worship that can give us a taste of the heavenlies and eternity. Worship is what, friends, you have been created to do. By being happy and fully satisfied in Him and Him alone. So I want you to turn with me to Psalm 73. 486 if you've got a pew Bible. Psalm 73, the psalmist here, gives a really good picture of the process, of the change of heart that goes on. Here in Psalm 73, this psalmist is captured by his day-to-day experience. All that he could see was his own suffering as he tried to live a life of obedience and worship. He he looked around to, to see those who were not worshiping or trying to obey, and all he could see in them was their prosperity. Look at what they have. Listen to the first, read along, the first five verses. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, do you ever do that? But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps were nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Does that sound whiny like any of us? Yes, absolutely. Look at them, God. Oh, I know that you're good to Israel, but what about me? Do you not love me? Look at verses 12 and 13. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. Like they're always at their lake house, right? They're always at ease. 
They increase in their riches. They don't even have to really work. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Look, I've been a good guy. Come on. All, it's all in vain. So can you feel where this psalmist is coming from? You, you have been trying to obey and worship God and some suffering has come into your life because of it. And yet, as you watch those who don't care about God one lick, all you see is how they have been abundantly, physically blessed. You're tempted to conclude that you have worshipped, you must have worshipped and sought to obey God in vain. Read verses 16 through 19. But, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until what? I went into the sanctuary of God. Holy cow. Then I discern their end. Truly you have set them in slippery places. You have made them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. What's happening to the psalmist? He is starting to develop a heavenly and eternal perspective, right? Realizing that these physical blessings are only temporary. They're fleeting and they will often end in their destruction. And then 21 to 24. When my soul was embittered. Some of you need to maybe identify here. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and arrogant. Ouch. I was like a beast toward you. See what's happening here? Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. He realized all of his spiritual blessings were actually better. Being continually with God. God actually holding his right hand. Being guided with wisdom and receiving counsel from God was far better. Better than any physical blessings. This realization made a once embittered prick into a worshipful heart. Look at 25 through 28. I love this. Whom have I in heaven but you? Are th and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides... Did you see the word nothing? There is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but... For me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of your work. Guys, this, this is worship. 
That's what this is. The psalmist almost, almost was overcome by his daily worries, his daily anxiety. He sought refuge by actually going to God's sanctuary, and he honestly brought all of his complaints, all of his worries to God, and instead of God striking him for even questioning him, what did God do? God lifted him up. Not just lifted him up out of the miry clay, he moved his eyes up. His eyes were no longer focused downward into these temporal blessings, but he focused his eyes upward on the actual spiritual blessings, that he has been spiritually blessed. And in the, in the end, his once embittered heart was actually worshiping his creator. He concluded that the nearness of God was, was good, not the nearness of wealth, of health, of comfort or ease, a spouse or children or any other physical blessing, but the nearness of God was the most important thing that he longed for. One thing I ask is what? See your beauty. To find you in dwelling place the nearness of god but do you believe this if you have ever if you have never known jesus christ to be better than anything in this world has to offer god ask god to show you god open my eyes let me see the beauties of these spiritual blessings in Christ. Let me see it because my eyes are sunk in these physical blessings. Let's ask God to be gracious to us as he was with the psalmist and take, our, our, take us out of our day-to-day -day experience and place us. God, would you transplant me into the heavenlies? Give me the experience, the 50,000-foot view over what you have done for me and even god if it is just for a moment would you give me a taste of eternity would you give me a taste of eternity that would you move in my heart would you produce in me worship in such a way that we will worship you now like we will then and maybe it's then when we can actually say with the psalmist whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart, my flesh and heart may fail, but, my, but God, God is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion forever. first step to actually living is this. Receiving the spiritual blessings of Christ. Saying yes to Jesus Christ. And saying this is true of me. For me to live, I need to die and gain these spiritual blessings. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, friends, Take your eyes off of the temporary. Fix your eyes on the eternal. And don't do it by yourself. 
I should be able to look at Randy and say, dude, this conversation just tells me that you've been fixating on, on this temporary. Can I help you while still walking with you and being present with you? Can I walk you with you and kind of give you a, a 50,000 foot reminder of the grandness of God? And he just, even in this painful moment, can I remind you, friend, brother, sister, that God is doing something beautiful. In fact, all these things are working together for your good. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. And we should say, Amen. Amen. Let's pray.